This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Hey, everybody. Matt Bagley alongside Justin Hopkins back at the wheels, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. I'm recording from my house in Beaverton. Justin, I think, is down in Medford, like always. Um, One of my all-time favorite rock bands is The Who. And on my favorite Who record, they have a track with a line that is stuck in my head after the big news out of the Pac-12 last week. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Is that how you feel about George Klyevkov being named the new commissioner of the Pac-12? Uh, you know, I I, uh, I suppose like most people, you know, when we started hearing that there was going to about to be a hire and then, you know, quickly after that, John Wilner and others basically saying, I guarantee nobody's ever heard of this guy, you know, and, and, uh, it's one of those things uh, to me that I've talked about before, you know, it's really important to manage expectations and stuff. And what I mean by that is, you know, when, uh, Oregon was looking for a new head coach, you don't start throwing out names like Nick Saban and urban Meyer and, you know, these guys that aren't coming to coach Oregon, because then of course the expectations are set, you know, way too high. And I think that there were some names, uh, you know, maybe, you know, by Wilner and others that were thrown out there that, you know, everybody's saying, Oh yeah, that's the one that'll be the guy, you know, you know, or gal. And, uh, you know, just to kind of end up with who, you know, (laughs) who's this guy. Um, so on the surface, knee jerk reaction, including myself, you kind of look at this and go, holy crap, we must've been really scraping the bottom of the barrel. But, uh, you know, after hearing him talk and after researching about him a little bit more and reading various articles about him, I feel pretty good about it. Obviously we don't know, but I, I definitely like it much better now than I did upon initial reaction. Um, and it was hard probably not to have that reaction at first, but, uh, I'm optimistic and I guess I'm hopeful because frankly, I'm not sure it can get any worse than it's been yeah. for the last four or five years. From where I sit, I think your take about some of the names that were floated might have, have given fans a rough taste in their mouths. Like, uh, the, the former Stanford girl, uh, Stanford grad, NBA exec, Amy Brooks, I thought that would have been a home run because I, I think just in terms of upper management, look at the way the, the play-in worked for the NBA or the way the bubble worked for the NBA. When the NBA puts its mind to something and the upper management of the NBA, Adam Silver and his cadres, work on something, they don't half-ass anything. Everything is flawless. So I thought, man, that would be a home run for the Pac-12. And then the other name, and I know fans brought this one up because I would see it on your board. I would read all the comments. People had the same thought I did. If you could convince Oliver Luck, I thought that would have been the home run 
just because of his football background. I I I I like the potential of George Klievkoff, and we can talk about some of the things I see uh, in a guy that was an MGM exec and basically the the perfect guy to run that resort business in Vegas. Um, but if you're just looking for someone to fix the issues with Pac-12 football, I thought Oliver Luck would have been the home run. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple home runs to be had, but how serious were they? I mean, let's face it, somebody's inheriting, uh, you know, uh, they're inheriting kind of a bad situation. You know, I'm, I, and I say that, I don't, I mean, the Pac-12 has, has, has great representation uh, from an athletic standpoint. I think college football being your primary sport, uh, you know, that you're going to use to bankroll into networks or any kind of deals you're going to be doing, you know, football's uh, playing pretty good. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. You got a lot of really good coaches, um, you know, head coaches, coaches that are personable, um, you know, that you could put on ESPN and Fox and the other sports networks. So I think you got a lot going for it. But yeah, I mean, just with the with the tarnish that's that's on there now, you know, somebody's going to have to come in and really turn this thing around. Right. And us- usually, what that entails is you got to throw a lot of money to entice the kind of names that you you know that we were hearing about. Um, again, you know, I don't. I, I don't think that the Pac-12 needed to do this, but had perhaps we heard about George, you know, prior to basically here's the guy, you know, would have maybe given fans a chance to maybe dig in for a week or two, uh, even media for a week or two, had they known he was a viable candidate. I understand you want to keep it under wraps, but, you know, why? It's not like you had other uh, conference commissioner jobs open. You weren't competing against anybody, you know, yeah. so... I, I get it, and on one on one hand, you know, I think there could have been a, a little bit of a little bit more positive PR spin had his name at least been mentioned pretty much anywhere at some point. But you know, I get it. I understand how business works, um, and like I said, I, I'm pretty happy. I, I mean, I, I I think I'm pretty happy, and I think he's going to be innovative and and kind of lead this conference in the direction that you know conferences are going to start wandering into which is obviously sports betting gambling name image image and likeness and, and all of those things that he should probably have a pretty good handle on yeah and it's safe to assume that that was a priority by the people that hired him these are university presidents they 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 are big picture kind of thinkers they're not necessarily very serious and passionate about football um, like Michael Schill is a great example, the president at Oregon. He, he's been on the record several times as saying, I, I, I'm not a football fan. I just happen to run a school with a good football team. And, and so I think that, that all of those points you hit on, the future of sports betting and college athletics, the future of the name, image, likeness debate in college athletics, which the West Coast I think is at the forefront of what with the um, the 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 cases in California and decisions made there in the past two years. And so the Pac-12 thinks we got to get somebody that knows this and can lead the way on it. Uh, And I think the other angle to all of this, like you mentioned, the Pac-12 is not in a enviable place. And, And on the outside, it's hard for fans to see that. Like, we think, well, the TV deals are coming up. Obviously, anybody would jump at that, right? And and the reality is no. <laughs> no. Because the, the Pac-12 is not going to negotiate from a position of strength. 
right? CBS doesn't need the Pac-12. NBC has Notre Dame. They don't need the Pac-12. Fox is in bed with the Big Ten. And ESPN and Disney, they, they've snapped up everything. They don't have room for the Pac-12. Yeah. So I, I, I like the, the wild card risk take that the Pac-12 is doing here. You get a guy that maybe he doesn't have direct television experience. Remember, he's he's a executive with the resort in Vegas, but in that capacity, he has promoted and and arranged sporting events in Vegas over the years, and so he has a ton of connections. I, I think this is a guy that can help Pac-12 teams in all sports improve their schedules. Say, if Oregon wants to play an SEC school on the gridiron, this is a guy that knows who to talk to. If UCLA wants to have a non-conference matchup with a Big Ten school, this is a guy who knows who to talk to. And I think that's how the Pac-12 kind of gains leverage in, in negotiation. Maybe it doesn't happen on the first TV deal, but maybe it happens on the next round as you build up the profile of the conference in other ways. Yeah. And let's, you know, let's not ignore the, uh, you know, the betting angle to all this, you know, there's, there's a, I guess I'll take a page out of kind of what the, the UFC does, which by no means should relate to college football directly. But, you know, one thing that has made the UFC wildly popular is setting up these huge events. Well, where are those events largely based out of right. Las Vegas, right? You know, he, he's going to be able to, you know, possibly utilize that, you know, beautiful new stadium that the Raiders have, have put together down there, uh, you know, with events and, and co-promote it with the MGM and other huge resorts. You know, you got to think that that's going to provide some form of attraction. And, and you I mean, one would think that, that the betting angle is going to come into play at some point, maybe not today, right. maybe not next year, but you've got to believe that it's coming and he'll be at the forefront of it. So. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I, I kind of, I guess, I said it in a tweet, and I know it's it's cliche, but I mean, this is either a massive miss or an absolute grand slam hire, and I'm not sure it's going to be anything in between those two things. And and again, you know, I know we're laying out some concerns, but you know, overall, I, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. And uh, you know, again, it, it seems as though he's even though the way he was hired is similar to Larry Scott. It would appear from his interview that he's a wildly different person than Larry Scott. He's almost the anti Larry Scott, you know, if you will, as it comes from a personality type standpoint. So if that's the case, I think there's reason to be optimistic, but uh, you know, proof is in the pudding, of course. No doubt. Um, yeah. You mentioned that the uh, possibility of games being played in Vegas I, I just can't help but think you might not get that crazy TV deal from a CBS or an NBC, um, but if you can get Oregon and Ohio State in Vegas, or you can get a USC and an Alabama in Vegas, or you can get Texas to play a Pac-12 school in Vegas, and you can offer two or three games like that every year, you're not going to have a billion-dollar TV package, but you're, you're still printing money. Those are easy games to sell on, t on TV. Yeah, you make, yeah, you're not necessarily making a pay-per-view, but, you know, it, yeah, you, yeah, I, I believe that I'm going to guess this. I, and this is just absolutely purely 
just a, a wild guess on my part, no inside information whatsoever, but I'm going to guess that, that George Klyavkov probably sees the, the direction, probably sees the long-term benefits somehow, some way getting into a streaming service deal. Now, whether it's, it's Hulu, you know, which he's got ties to, whether it's Amazon prime, whether it's, you know, whatever I, I, you, you would, one would imagine that that's probably the big picture move. Now, you know, whether that's viable now or five years from now or 10 years from now, who knows? But, you know, you got to think that you could be able to do some of that in sort of a, a you know, let's, for instance, you know, Oregon's going to play Georgia in the future. You know, Oregon and Georgia in Las Vegas, I mean, you know, to start the season early, which it'll be an early season game. I mean, hello. I mean, that's, you know, that's a that's a mega event right there. So. And I know that we're only talking about football because, well, let's face it, even even Klevkov recognized the importance of football and men's basketball uh, to any conference for that matter. Right. You know, there's just so much flexibility. There's so many hotels, there's so many flights, there's convention centers, there's places to play. It just makes a lot of sense. And oh, by the way, it's a fraction of the cost of doing anything in the Bay Area yes. of that magnitude. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, you're, you're preaching to the choir there. I, I um. You, you know I like to lean on my background. I, I'm a Raider fan, and, uh, and sometimes that can be nauseating to constantly tell these stories, but there always seems to be a nugget. Growing up, my father and I would always drive down at least once a year and go to a game. And, you know, we grew up in Medford, so that's a seven- or eight-hour drive. And I was just talking with my dad about this the last time I was hanging out with him, like, how much money did we spend on gas all those drives down? Well, I don't know. You know, hundreds of dollars. How much money did we spend on hotels? Because you got to get a hotel the night before, you know, to split the drive in half. And you got to eat a bunch of food and you got to pay California sales tax everywhere. It's a nightmare. And compare that to if you just want to go see a game in Vegas, it's a $100 flight. Right. It's so much easier. It's so it's much easier. easier. Yeah. And rooms are, you know, shoot, rooms are 60 bucks a night if right. you really work it. Right. You know, because they they want to give you the room, the casinos, uh, the, the resorts, yep. they want to give you the room. So they're going to give you all sorts of deals, cheap room, cheap food, cheap drinks. And then they hope that you you do the stupid thing and you stretch your legs in the casino for 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's like the the circa that opened down there, uh, which is down, you know, in the in the old district, uh, you know, Fremont Street, Old Town, you know, one of the new hotels there in Vegas. You know, the big claim to fame with that one is they've got a rooftop pool. It's got, you know, 500 TVs and I'm exaggerating, but it's got a gazillion TVs out there around the pool with the mega TV screen thing. It's 100 percent set up for sports betting, for sports gambling, for standing there in the pool, having a drink you know, in the, in the Vegas sun, watching the Raiders or whoever you want to play, uh, you know, that facility, that brand new property that just opened less than six months ago, hundred percent designed around, you know, sports betting and sports gambling. So obviously it's big business, which we know you could look up the numbers and realize it's big business. Um, I, I just think it all ties together. I love the hire. I love the, I love the direction. I think there's innovation to it. It's just a matter of basically being able to kind of circle everything together. Yeah. Okay, well, we we had a guest lined up, and he joined us in the Zoom room, but I think he got spooked because 
this this tends to happen. I, I never let people just jump in because um, I, I want to have them muted first. He jumped out. We'll have to reach back with him, get him in here. But I'm really excited to get him on. Uh, George Reitster, Oregon alum. What, what are you excited to ask George about? Oh, me? Yeah. Uh, you know, just, uh, just you know, playing career, you know, in Oregon, just maybe memories, just, uh, you know, I think it's kind of cool, you know, being an alumni. Um, and for somebody like him, you know, obviously playing, you know, so long ago, and somebody that remains involved, somebody re- that remains active in paying attention, you know, to what's going on, uh, you know, I think it's kind of fun to see the differences in the, in the way the program's grown and, and just kind of get his take on it after having been there and been through it. So that's, I guess, that more than anything. And I'd like to hear about what he's doing today. You know, what's he up to now? What's, what's keeping him busy? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. I know fans really enjoy that kind of the, uh, you know, what are they doing now, uh, so to speak? you know, part of, of college football athletics and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I love when we bring on former players and especially if we bring on a guy from that era, I love to ask him about the differences because to me, the Oregon football of the early two thousands, Joey Harrington and those guys and and coach Bellotti, who we've had on the show before, it's like a different program compared to what we have now. Yeah. Yeah. Recruiting so many elements were so are so, you know, different now than they were then. And, and just the game itself. Um, yeah. It's just kind of fun to hear about the differences. And and again, you know, uh, it's fun to enjoy and applaud a Panay Sewell or Justin Herbert or Marcus Mariota or, you know, the guys that get into the NFL. But there's obviously a lot of guys that, that played some good college ball that just, you know, didn't quite work out in the NFL. And it's you know, it's nice to get an idea of what they're up to these days. Yeah, no doubt. So George Reitster, he's going to join us very shortly. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about his background at Oregon, what he thinks about the program now, and a few other things as well. Um, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll take a break on our end. I'll cut all the, the delay out in production, and we'll get you that interview shortly. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Speaking with George Reitster on Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, you might remember him as an Oregon alum, a tight end back in the day, and you know, if you you really want to get in the weeds, I did my research, he's a UFL champion from back in the day. (laughs) I remember that league. Uh, We're we're not going to ask you much about the UFL, George, but I'm curious, someone with your perspective, as someone that was a duck at the turn of the century, it feels like... That program compared to Mario Cristobal's program now is like a totally different school. Do you feel that way? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, in terms of the ability to recruit at a national level, and then the fact that all the things that we were able to accomplish, and then all the stuff that Chip was able to subsequently accomplish, it seems like that that when you look at that, that you're saying, all right, hold up, this is a brand that was built, you know, and now it's nationally recognizable. You have kids from, you know, all the way from D.C., Florida saying, oh, this is my dream school. Like, this is the school that I dreamt about. And to actually see that in fruition is really good. Yeah, is it, uh, you know, let's be honest. I know that you 
have paid pretty close attention to recruiting and the program, you know, since your playing days, maybe not, you know, uh, complete detail, but I know you've kept an eye on it. Do you ever think that, that, that Oregon recruiting at this level was, was possible beyond a one-off year here and there? I mean, did you think this, this level of, of success yes. was sustainable? Yeah. Yes, man. If you build it, they will come. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, if, if, I'm, no, I'm serious. Like if you think about it, right. Clemson is in the middle of nowhere. There's literally 10,000 people in the entire city. It's nowhere. Tuscaloosa is not a, a, a big, it's not a big city. We're not talking about Los Angeles. Yes, Eugene is out of the way. But at the, at the same time, if ki- kids will go where it's cool to go, where you're going to win, compete for national championships, and get dope stuff on top of it, and now add in the name, image, and likeness uh, uh, ability. And Oregon's going to do a fantastic job with, with that and helping the players out. So I think that, that we are just seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of recruiting. Because if, if, the, if we can, if Cristobal and staff, if they can translate these recruiting wins into wins on the field, you know, some trips to the college football playoff and all of that, dude, it, it, it is going to go through the roof. I love that comparison that you mentioned of, of talking about Clemson, talking about Bama, because it's, it's easy for all of us to roll our eyes and say, well, Eugene is out of the way and you can't fly into it easily. But if, if you just give me a pick of where I want to live in America, Eugene, or Tuscaloosa. <laughs> I'm, I'm picking <laughs> yeah. Eugene every time. Absolutely. Yeah. And then also, you're you're not very far from Portland. There, you're four hours from Seattle. Like there, well, a little, little bit further, four hours from C- Seattle. But you know that all those things are doable. And then you're a hop, skip, and a jump on a flight to to a Vegas to Los Angeles. It, it, it makes it. For kids who are within the footprint, easy to get home, easy for their parents to get there. And so I am, you know, so where where um, the old re- regime and people, you know, like Scott Frost, who's who's having amazing success right now at, at Nebraska, <laughs> where he said, you know, um, oh, man, you can't recruit up to Eugene. I mean, and truthfully, he hadn't been able to recruit the Lincoln like that. So, and I, I have said that, that the things that have happened to Oregon have been a freaking blessing, dude, a blessing. The, 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 the fact that Scott Frost did not take the job, that sounds like a blessing. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Uh, and the, yeah, and the fact that, that Willie Taggart came up and then bailed that was a blessing. He left all the good stuff, took all the bad stuff with him. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so where in, in, the, in that moment, it didn't feel very good. You know, and people say, oh, it's a stepping stone job, all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wow. These things actually worked in our favor. That these were blessings. And now you got a guy in Cristobal who needed a second chance to be a head coach who connects with recruits and people on a different way than, than other people thought previously could have. And yeah, he is tough to work for. 
he is the grinder. He's a grinder. He's demanding. It's not for everybody. But when you see the results and you see the opportunities that his assistants get, that's why they want to work for him. Yeah, I mean, to your point, George, it was almost addition by subtraction, right? You know, obviously, Scott Frost, you know, heading off to, to UCF and then to, to Nebraska. And then, and then, of course, you know, Willie Taggart. And I, I know people love to, to hate on, on Willie Taggart for, you know, just maybe mostly the way he departed. You know, I, I think had that been maybe handled a little bit uh, more differently and better, folks wouldn't have the bitter taste in their mouth. But at the end of the day, you know, it was Willie Taggart that lured Mario Cristobal up here. And, you know, uh, fancy to remember that. They need, you know, you, if you're happy about the recruiting rankings and back-to-back Pac-12, you know, uh, titles, I guess you better be thankful that Willie Taggart uh, showed up, uh, showed people that you can yeah. recruit to Oregon and, and brought Mario Cristobal with him, you know, for that matter. Um, I, I kind of expected us to go this way at the end, but we'll do it now. It sounds like from talking to you, George, I don't want to take, uh, you know, words out of your mouth, but it sounds like you're a pretty big fan of Coach Chris Paul. What do you, what do you like about him? Where does he need to get better? You know, what are your thoughts on the, on the program, uh, you know, being led by Coach Chris Paul right now? So I like a lot of the things that he's doing, like where I said he connects with, with people. Cause I talked to some of the, the players and they love him for the most part. They're like, he's real. He'll shoot you straight. You, you may not like it, but he's going to get, he's going to give you an honest answer. And he actually cares about people and cares about his players. So that's something that you're not going to get with every single coach and the, and the, but on, on the flip side. And, oh, and also I love the, the toughness and the mentality that he's brought to the program. And, you know, um, if you look at, Oh, Okay. Here's the, here's the thing about football. At some point in time, to use a line from Marshawn Lynch, so if you, you, you guys have kids are in the car, earmuffs. Um, <laughs> at some point in time, in football, you just have to run through a motherfucker's face over and over and over and over again. And so that means when it's time to salt the game away, when you need a, a big play and you just have to be physical at times like you can try to run around people all that stuff that's cute but sometimes you just have to line up man to man and be like you know I'm running the football because it's third down and one yes we will have a creative play but we're you, you know what's happening and you can't stop it so I love that part of it but now on the flip side the negative part about that what I haven't loved that I have seen but I've seen it better with Joe Moorhead as offensive coordinator instead of Arroyo is the ability to pass the ball down the field. I know that we're better at the wide receiver position than we, than we were. But, you know, like the, the uh, trend in football is that you obviously playing defense and being able to get stops and be physical is very important. But also, you have to be able to put up points. And there are times where the Duck offense gets a little stagnant, a little to run, run heavy. I would like us to, you know, to uh, open up the pass game more. Because if, if you look at the teams that have been very successful, they can run the ball. But they also have a very dynamic pass game, which is where the Ducks need to improve. 
Good. Yeah, I, I would say that those are, are fair points. I think uh, I think most fans would agree with you there, and I and I do I do agree with you. It sounds like you know that that we probably both believe to a degree that the Joe that Joe Moorhead you know is a little bit more versatile and a little bit more willing to to open up the playbook and throw the ball downfield and and like you said having those those big bodied and capable tight ends this year which they were short on last year having the yep. the, the receiving group that really looks like it's the best receiving group we've seen possibly in the last decade at Oregon you know should should definitely help those things um this season, I mean, how, last question, at least as, as far as this is related, mm-hmm. how you feeling for this season? You got Ohio State week two. You know, what did you kind of see and hear from this spring that gives you optimism or pessimism uh, for the season ahead for Oregon? I am cautiously optimistic because it, it, it's one it's one of those. Like, I, I want to see how good Anthony Brown turn turns out to be if he can be the type of passer that we that we need to do something special and something great so um and and i'm also excited to see how the defense is because to 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 see noah sewell who's an absolute dog and a savage who's probably my favorite player on the defense now and to see the you know where Justin Flo fits in, and then uh, to and, and so it looks like the front seven is going to be pretty, pretty, pretty good because that kid, uh, what was his name, Williams, the kid from tennis, Tennessee, he seems to be coming on. Obviously, Thibodeau, that so the front seven looks stout, but then yeah. but now on the back end, I'm interested to to see how obviously how DJ James is going to progress because it looks like um, oh my gosh what's his what's his name number uh, two the uh the uh Mikhail Wright the uh Mikhail, yeah, Mikhail yeah, Wright yeah yeah he yeah yeah he obviously looks fabulous we'll see what's up with with Dante Manning if the and then the safety put position which we didn't get great play out of last year that's got to improve you know so if, if we can either get a good enough ash rush to where the to protect the that that's going to be the diff team can make a run at a college football playoff or whether you're just going to end up you know clawing for a Pac-12 championship again and then end up back in the in the Rose Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, definitely. And and what I've tried to tell fans myself is you know. Everybody thinks that, you know, if you win the Pac-12 Conference Championship, you should automatically be competing for a national championship. And it's like, no, it's there. There are two different levels there. I mean, you can you can do one and not be ready for the other. And and, and unfortunately, there's, you know, there's a, a sizable gap in between there. So, uh, like you said, oh, it, see, I, see, I, I, I disagree with that a little bit in, in terms of, OK. So talent is the biggest uh, differentiator between being able to win a championship and not. Right. Because, like, I remember two years ago when Oregon played against Utah in the Pac-12 championship. Prior to that, all year on the Pac-12 Apostles podcast, all of that, I've been talking about how – how Utah was going to run into a situation where at some point in time, their quarterback, Tyler, Tyler Huntley, 
he was going to need to be special. He was going to need to be great. And he's not a great quarterback. He just he just wasn't. Like he was an efficient guy at times with their with their offense, but great quarterback, absolutely not. So so that's the, so that's the situation that 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 they were in. And then you add in like if Utah had won that game, there was not a chance in hell that Utah was going to be able to compete with some of the other big, big boys. Like you, you, you have to have the horses on top of being well, well coached and everything else. And like, if you're the Pac-12 champion, right, and your roster supports it, then yes, you should be able to compete for a national championship. I mean, but but there are but right now in terms of recruiting and all that, there's really only two teams in the Pac-12 that have a legitimate, I mean, who can even compete at that level, and that is Oregon and USC. But USC isn't coached well enough. We we know what's going on with Clay, Clay Helton, what happened with their 2019 recruiting class. So, you know, so that kind of, you know, put, puts them out of it in terms of being able to win. But do they have enough talent? Yes. So that's where, like, the, the Pac-12 champion, in theory, can compete, especially if the – if the actual champion from the from the Pac-12 title game is the one going into the college football playoff, because what what the Pac-12 has suffered from, which the other conferences have not so much, is that is that in in the Big 12 you know who's winning the Big 12 every single year. It is it is Oklahoma. You know who's winning the SEC, Alabama. You know who's winning the ACC. That's Clemson. So the Pac-12 has had more parity, which has di- distorted the total view of the conference and also its lack of availability and availability in terms of visibility. You, when, when, when you have the Pac-12 networks only available to 17 million homes, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice and you also are allowing other people to write the narrative for you mm-hmm. because they'll, they'll, they'll say, oh, you can't go to the NFL from the Pac-12. You can't do uh, this. When if you look over the last uh, over the last 10, either the last 10 or 20 years, I forget which one it, what it is, the SEC has dominated the draft in terms of first round picks and total overall picks. But all the other conferences are basically even. I mean, within within ten draft picks of of pretty much all of them. Right. So th- this is not a case of the Pac-12 being de- devoid of talent. It's been devoid of one single dominant team, which you know where where it says a, a a rising tide lifts all ships. So if you have a one dominant team, it doesn't matter for the most part, what's going on in the rest of the conference. Gotcha. Yeah, the, there's definitely a lot more parity, uh, you know, in the Pac-12 than I guess at, at the moment than the SEC and ACC. Uh, you know, George kind of putting a bow on that. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, you know, you've been around the program, uh, you know, somewhat intimately for the better part of 20 years, you know, came out of California. What... Uh, 
you know, thinking back to those days, recruiting was much different than it is now. Uh, Oregon was a much different program than it was now. What, uh, you know, from what you recall, what kind of led you to, to, to being a duck? What led you, you know, to, to come up this way originally? What, what, what was the pitch? What uh, you, sold you? You, you? you have to thank Coach Oz and Coach Campbell. They are the ones who got me up there on the trip because I was in a unique situation because I had offers from pretty much everywhere. But I didn't I didn't play high school football until until my junior year. Wow. So and and my dad at that point in time, he would call newspapers and pretend to be coaches and be like, yo, have you seen this kid, George Rice, over at <laughs> Silmar? Because I had just transferred there. And, and mind you, my, my, my numbers and what I was doing did did support people looking. So then they looked and they were like, oh, snap, this kid's good. So then I got invited to a Nike camp at Stanford and I won MVP of that. And then all of a sudden the floodgates, I got offers from everywhere. Like I was essentially a no star guy because I, I wasn't on the map. Like nobody had ever heard of me. And then but but ended up with offers from from everywhere. It, it, it's, it would be kind of like now where you see a kid who, who's like a two-star kid and then you're like, how does he have an Alabama offer and a Georgia offer? <laughs> and then all of a sudden he starts flying up the boards. Like that was that, that, that's who I was. And so I was content. Like I was going, I was probably going to go to UCLA and, and uh, you had coach Campbell and coach Oz, they finally got, they kept giving me information. I see them in school, all that stuff. I tossed it in my locker and they finally talked to my parents and they were like, yo, did you see all the information that, that we gave George? And they were like, no. And, and my dad said, either bring it home or, or I'm taking your car away. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so it got home that same day. And I, I think I went back to school to go get it. And, um, and, they broke down all my top schools and all the, cause my top schools were like Florida state, UCLA, uh, I, I, and they broke down all the recruits that at my position that had gone there and, and how many balls they did not catch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, yo, this team actually wants you to play defense they're, they're they're telling you that and you can come here and potentially play play basketball too so so the week so two weekends before signing day i went on my ucla trip and coach toledo at breakfast was like yo you need to commit now we we may not have a scholarship for you or he said we won't have a scholarship for you if you if you leave here without committing i was like all right uh well sorry that, that sucks. So I took my trip to Oregon. The, within five minutes of me walking in the, the house, Toledo called me <laughs> and said, yo, hey, yo, we uh, still got a spot, spot here for you if you want to be a Bruin. But, but the trip to Oregon was absolutely amazing. I, you know, the, the, the team wasn't great at the time. They, I think they had just played in the, in the bowl game in Hawaii. The uniforms hadn't changed. I came in the year they changed, and it was just an amazing trip. And I remember flying back home with my parents, and I was a little bit upset. I was like, 
yo, I think I should go to Oregon. My mom was like, me too. And so I went there and like, and the reason why I was a little bit upset because I had an idea in, in, in my mind of, I was like, oh, Oregon's not big time enough. I'm supposed to go to a big time school. And, but then to, in hindsight, the fact that I got a chance to be a part of building something to what it is now, I could not be any more proud of where, of where I went and the decision that I made in terms of the lifetime of friendships, the networking, all of these things has been invaluable. I know this is probably one, I think this is one of Matt's, you know, favorite questions, but uh, I mean, do you have like a favorite memory, favorite game, favorite you know, is there something from your time, you just a favorite story that from your time playing at Oregon that, that kind of sticks out to you uh, still to this day? Okay, here's a, here's a story that most people don't know is that after my freshman year, we had a meeting with with Uncle Phil and Tinker Hatfield. And we were we were in the meeting and I said to uh, they, they were like they showed us the new technology and some new jerseys, some new features that were going to be coming in. And they said, do you guys have any questions? I raised my hand. I said, Uncle Phil, we're your we're your favorite team. Right. He said, yes. I said, so why don't we have the best jerseys? And he said, what are you talking about? We, you guys have the newest technology. Nobody else has this. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I get it. I said, but we don't have the most uniform com- combinations because we can't even mix and match our white and green u- uniforms because because of, of the stripe on the side. And and he was like, okay, so who has better jerseys? I was like, Miami, Miami, they can mix and match all their jerseys. And he, and they said, okay, so what colors do you want? What what colors would would be good? I was like, black, yellow. I don't know, gray, any of that. And so that was kind of, and he looked at Tinker and he was like, we really can't change it. And he was like, nope. And so he was like, we'll get that fixed. And so that was the conversation that was the genesis of all the uniforms that came after that. Did they ever ask you to design your own uniform? Uh, they... They they talked to me a few times about colors and stuff like that. And I got a chance to see them early and see things that and say things either I did like, didn't like any of that, but yeah. And that that, that was why if the NFL didn't work out, I, I had plans on going into Nike's development program. Wow. That's crazy. So you, you play you played Oregon, uh, and then the draft comes around in two thousand three, and, and you're a Jacksonville Jaguar. Obviously, later on, did spend a year uh, with the Giants. How, how would you characterize you know your your NFL career? I mean, uh, and not just about your play individually. I mean, you know, was it fun? What experiences did you take away from it? Just you know, how was that for you? Uh, so the uh, draft in and of itself was an, an issue because um, I was so I left as a junior and then I and, you know, was supposed to be drafted higher. But turn, turns out when I talked to Bill Parcells a couple years later, 
he said that I was said to quote unquote have character issues. And I was like, what? Never been in trouble a day in my damn life. And so that was kind of crazy. But to go to Jacksonville and then, you know, and have the career that I had, it was a case of, I always tell, tell people that success in the NFL is a bunch of different things. It's, it is your, when you're drafted, it, it, it's when you're drafted, um, the, the system, the system and the team that you go to, because I was a more of a receiving tight end and I went to Jacksonville and we were throwing, throwing the ball 19 times a game. And they were like, <laughs> go block, go block power. <laughs> and that wasn't the best use of my, of my skills. And then a bunch of injuries, like silly injuries and stuff like that. But overall, I, I didn't have the career that I wanted, but it was the career that I needed because it turned out that I had spinal stenosis and I, and I could have been paralyzed <laughs> from uh, playing. So looking wow. back on it from the back end, dude, it was a blessing to be able to play as long as I did, to be able to give my myself and my family a great head start in life i it, it was an absolute blessing um but as far as the fun of it you know it, it it's it's tough when you are hurt when uh, you face injuries that that's why when guys at, at oregon have been hurt i've reached out to to uh some, some of them because i understand what that life is like being on the other end of that and you know so yeah, so my NFL experience, it, it was good. But, you, you know, you also come to some harsh realities that it is a business. And the best thing about it is the same thing that's the best thing about it in college, which is the camaraderie with your teammates, the the, uh, the uh, fellowship, all the stuff outside of the actual game is what makes it great. So let's talk about life after football now, George. Um a bunch of radio stuff, Mad Dog Radio with Russo's crew and uh, Fox Sports Radio, and you got a podcast as well. What, what's the biggest drive for you right now? Uh, wait, well, you you uh, asked the question. You said, "What is what me right now?" What's what's the biggest drive? Like like what are you working on the most that you're most excited about? Ooh, I, I I would say I'm I'm most excited about. <sighs> so I love doing radio because I get a chance to tell stories and long form, discuss things. But I also love like being able to do because I've had the opportunity to do a lot of TV stuff, particularly at 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 FS1. So that's always exciting. Just the fact that. The idea that somebody that I can be thoughtful and engaging enough that way somebody I can make somebody's day better with and give them some social currency to, to, to discuss things or anything like that. That's it's so humbling to me because, you know, when 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 you have a gift and then you're actually given the opportunity to, you know, live out that dream. And you get a chance to try to maximize it. So I don't take any of it for, for granted. I love it. So I do 
my uh, nightcap on Mad Dog um, Monday through Friday. And then on Sundays, I work at FS1, uh, FS1 and Fox Sports Radio. So I do a show on Fox Sports Radio Sundays as well. So, man, it's just a blessing because I know how many people would love to do this. And so I don't take it for granted at all. Nice. Yeah, no, I lo- you know, I love that that word. I, I don't think I've ever, but social currency, I like that one. But that's you know, that's good. You give, you give people something to talk about and, and a break away from reality. And, you know, I guess, that's, I guess that's some of what I do a little bit, just, you know, giving them an angle to talk about or sports or their favorite team or, you know, favorite player or whatever the case might be. And it's it's fun to kind of be that break or that escape, you know, from, because let's face it, most people have jobs and, they're, you know, they're going to offices, they're doing that and, and that's what sports are. That's what they should be viewed as, as, as entertainment, exactly. as, a, as an outlet. You know, uh, I, I think we lose sight of that sometimes, but, uh, but George, you know, I, I feel like we're going to wrap there with this segment, but, you know, I think Matt and I would love to have you back on again. If, if, uh, if you can work in, into your schedule. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely come back on. Excellent. No, we'd love to have you on and we'll talk some, some football season as it gets a little bit closer and, and uh, maybe break a few things down opening weekend, whatever the case might be. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, once again, hopefully Duck fans, you know, are able to, to catch your work uh, and follow your work as well and, and continue to support you. All right, cool. All right, all right, thanks. Thanks, George. All right. That was a fun interview. George Reitster, Oregon alum, Duck from back in the day, uh, having, a, having a lot of success in green and yellow and then moving on to other pastures um there were some internet issues i i have to be honest with people there were some dropouts there i think it was on george's side my guess is you know he's a socal guy so he was probably driving around in traffic and maybe driving under a tunnel and cut out from from time to time but it was worth all those dropouts because what he said i thought was was really insightful really cool are you insinuating there's traffic in Southern California? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, hey, well, it, it really just takes a full circle, right? Of yeah. If if you tell me, and again, I'm not an 18 year old kid, and I'm not the kind of body that can play college football, nor do I have any eligibility to. But but if you're telling me the same question that you tell all these kids, where do you want to live for four years of your life? And your choices are Tuscaloosa, Alabama, yuck, or Gainesville, Florida, humidity, and all the Florida people, all the crazy people, yuck, uh, or L.A., where it's smoggy and full of traffic and expensive and superficial, yuck, or live in the Northwest, live in Eugene, and I'm an hour and a half from Portland, I'm two hours from Crater Lake. Sign me up, man. It sounds like a great time. I think you, I think you left out Norman, Oklahoma, out of that mix as well. Oh, but yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, like the, I, I'm biased. I'm biased. My family moved up to Oregon uh, from from Redding, Northern California area, when I was a toddler, and I've lived in Oregon the rest of my life. I'm 29 now. I consider myself a, a lifelong Oregonian. This is the best state in America. Like it's it's easy to live here. Yeah, there's a you know there's a, a diverse uh, you know diverse terrain. If you want mountains, you can go to mountains. If you want to hike, if you want to 
go to rivers with world-class fishing, if you want to go to lakes. I mean, obviously we're, we're pretty fortunate to have, you know, pretty much everything you want. And really, um, you know, all, all four seasons, you know, and and don't get me wrong. I love the sunshine. I love to be on the lake and, and doing that, but there's something to be said when it cools down a little bit and gives you a break. And, uh, you know, if it rains a little bit, that's okay. Not too much, but, (laughs) right. But no, you know, pretty fortunate in a lot of those areas, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was, you know, again, great to have George on, loved his insight, loved the, you know, the little stories that he was able to offer that, you know, more than likely none of us had ever heard before. And, uh, you know, again, he makes a great point. Why, you know, why wouldn't you want to go play in Oregon, you know, with the national brand, uh, you know, with the, the city uh, attraction of Eugene and the surrounding areas. Um, it certainly seems as though Mario Cristobal has, has tapped into that and figured out a way to sell it to, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 year old recruits and, and, uh, and elevate his program along the way. Yeah. Yeah. When, when Phil Knight and Tinker Hatfield can pick your brain about uniform design, you know, you're in the right place. Uh, George, George Reitster with some cool stories there. Although I didn't get a chance to, I was going to, you know, if, if he's the one that we need to blame for the gray pants, then, you know, I'm going to have words with him about that. Oh, you no. mean, you mean the Lewis and Clark Jersey? <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I know he wasn't involved in that, but yeah, I just mean the gray pants. Yeah. <laughs> Oregon never wins when they wear the gray pants. The, the, the diehard fans know that. So ooh, some of us would like to see them burned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, I, I, you know, I was in high school in that era. Um, you know, your late 2000s ducks where they're, they're changing uniforms every year. Yeah. And, and I, I wasn't a diehard, obviously. Like I, I was more your casual Oregon fan at that time of my life. But, yeah, it felt like every year they might have ten unis, nine of them would rock, and one of them it would be like, okay, this is going in the burn pile. We're never yeah. wearing this again. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, the good old days back when RoboDuck was around. <laughs> yeah, my buddy man, Drake. Okay, yeah. um, you wanted to talk about softball before we left. Well, I mean, I should get a mention. You know, obviously wrapping up, uh, and we've, we definitely had a, a good strong hour of podcast, but uh, big weekend ahead for uh, for softball. Yeah, yeah, and and it's easy to think that the committee screwed him over. I'm not going to argue against that point because I think you can. And and I think like what I said on my show last night, the Pac-12 is the best softball conference in America. It 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 is. And if you've yeah. covered this league for years, you know that to be the case. You know the talent that comes through this league. It's the best league in America. Um, there's no reason for the committee to stiff not simply Oregon, but Washington too, and and Arizona and some other schools in the league. Um, but I think the committee had Oregon slotted there less because that's where Oregon had had them ranked um like i don't think the committee really believed oregon was the 21st seeded team which i think is where they landed up um but i think the committee just said well they're on the bubble of being a one seed or a two seed so if they're not going to be a one let's just send them to the best tv matchup as a two and that was texas yeah i I don't, it, you know, to me, it just, it seems like it was kind of slapped together, which let's be real. 
much of the sports for the last nine months have kind of felt that way, not just in Oregon, not just in the Pac-12. Oh, you know, it's just... It's not, not it's, felt that way. It is that way. It is. Yeah, it, it, it is that way. So, you know, I, I do believe and agree with people that say that, you know, Oregon got hosed and they did. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, you know, I'm just kind of chalking it up to, you know, what what quite frankly has been normal in the last year with with relation to, I guess you would call it prep or high school or collegiate sports or even, you know, the pro sports for that matter. So, um, you know, I'm willing to chalk it up to that. Um, it is frustrating, but uh, let's not let's not kid ourselves. A lot of people are going to tune into that regional simply because of the Oregon-Texas relationship. And and I'm going to guess that that probably had a little bit to do with it. Yeah. And and honestly, I don't think it's a COVID thing. I think this is something that you would see in any sport in any year. This is how selection committees operate. Um, they, they don't always pick the four best or eight best, or I think in softball it's closer to 40, best teams. They pick best TV matchups, uh, best yeah. storylines. And, and, and like in football, we all can point and say, remember that year where Ohio State wins a national title, right? The year where they, they have the four seed and then they beat Oregon in the national championship game. I don't have to jog people's memories. They remember that. Ohio State was not supposed to be the four seed. Right? right. Initially, no. it was going to be a Big 12 school, but that wasn't the best TV matchup, so the committee found a way to put Ohio State in there. It's the same thing oh, yeah. in volleyball and, and, yeah. or in, in, in basketball and in softball. It's the same thing. The committee is only concerned about who's the best team to an extent, and then they're just looking for what makes a good TV matchup. Yeah, no. If 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 it's close enough, uh, if it's close enough, like you said, the tiebreaker is what's going to generate more revenue for us. What's going to get us more attention, more eyeballs, more clicks? And it's pretty clear, you know, just like you know what a lot of people have theorized, the NBA's figured out is that you're going to benefit when your big market teams are winning and are in the finals or in the semifinals versus your small market teams and. Again, I'm not saying that that's the case or not the case, but it's certainly been theorized by a lot of people. And I, I, I would I would assume that, you know, college baseball, college softball, some of your smaller uh, non-mainstream sports or, or, you know, not football, not men's basketball, you know, they're, they're going to probably look at that a little bit more seriously to try and gain more eyeballs and more attention. And, yeah. Um, you know, again, like I said, originally, there, there's going to be a lot more eyeballs on, you know, Oregon, Texas than there would have been normally if, if Oregon was playing again in Eugene against three others, you know, teams that nobody's ever heard of. Right. So. Right. And, and softball is not going to draw, uh, you know, a hundred million people watching on television. We're not talking right. about a Super Bowl from 25 years ago, but if you're a softball fan, the story of Melissa Lombardi and her team of young players that she had to recruit and she had to thrust into the limelight because her roster was barren after an exodus of transfers facing off with the coach that poached a lot of those transfers and the coach that inspired a lot of those transfers because he was the former coach at Oregon. That story is the 
biggest story of any matchup in this opening round. You're oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, no, hundred percent. There's a. It's definitely you know gotten outside of just the Oregon footprint. It's gotten a lot of buzz, you know, in that community uh, and and really nationally for that matter to a degree. Yeah. Considering that it's softball, you know, yeah, uh, you know, ver- versus other sports. But yeah, that'll be exciting. You know, uh, looks like uh, you know men's baseball is in somewhere floating around the top ten for the most part. Number six. Uh, yeah. Number six. Yeah. So it's you know. Uh, once again, we're, we're still in that golden age of athletics, Oregon, uh, you know, Oregon track and field, uh, remained successful for like, I don't know, the 200th straight year or something like that. Something ridiculous, but I think the number is 17, but still you get my point. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one last note on softball, their postseason kicks off Friday, uh, looking like, looking like four thirty Pacific time, uh, the Texas regional starts, uh, ESPN three and and I think this is really cool. If you live in the Eugene area, it's on the radio. They're gonna do it oh. on uh, on uh, what are called OSN affiliates. So like uh, my my uh, my sister station in Medford eight eighty is one of those. We're not gonna do softball though because they won't give us the rights. But um, the uh, OSN is going to broadcast that game with the uh, the student station at Oregon, uh, KWVA. So I, I think that's 88-1 in Eugene. Yeah, 88-1 in Eugene, and uh, they're going to have the game on Friday, and then, and then the whole Texas Regional, they got a kid that they sent, uh, an Oregon student that's going to broadcast those games, and um, – it's just a really, really neat opportunity for these young ladies to prove themselves on the national stage. That's very, that that's very cool. It's pretty crazy that, you know, softball just kind of almost has like this, you know, cult following to it. I mean, it really, it really does. It's, it's, uh, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. And I know like even just on scoop duck, you know, it's, it's, it is a wildly popular sport yeah. that, that people love to, to follow, talk about. And, uh, yeah, I, it'll be a fun weekend for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I've said for years, I love the women's athletics at Oregon. Those ladies, uh, basketball, there, there's a physicality that, that is, is really enjoyable for me. There's a toughness and a love for the game that you see in how they play. But with softball, they're just badasses. I, I just I look at some of the things that they do, <laughs> some of the throws and some of the fielding that these ladies can do, and I just think, wow, that's hard. Absolutely. No, no question. Uh, no question. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I know that it's kind of quite time as far as football goes. It's obviously quite time as far as basketball goes, but uh, you know, but at least we've got, uh, at least we've got baseball and, and softball to keep us distracted. And yeah. I think, I think softball, I think it's going to make for a fun weekend. So luckily, uh, luckily we've got that going for us. Yeah. And, and beautiful and beautiful weather and beautiful weather. Beautiful too. weather. Right, right. It was uh, it was a sauna in my house on Saturday, and it's cool and blue skies and a little rainy today. Just absolutely perfect. Best weather of the year. Uh, don't move to Oregon. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, let, let's not sleep on that number six best, uh, baseball team. We'll talk about them a lot on the next pod. 
And good luck to softball as they kick off the Texas Regional in the postseason. Uh, really thankful for George Reitster and the time he gave us. Reminder, he, he does a lot of radio and TV, Sirius XM, Mad Dog Radio. He's got a, uh, an Oregon podcast as well. I know the details of that are on his, uh, his Twitter page and all over his website and all over the interwebs. And then some TV stuff as well with uh, FS1 and, and the Fox Sports Radio uh, umbrella. My name's Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins. And we'll be back at it in a few more days. Thanks for listening. Go Ducks. I can do this night life all day long.